Hi, this is Rick Remender, writer of Punisher, and you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. some research on you, uh, I, I realize we have kind of a six degrees of separation thing going on here, um, because we have spoken with people who worked on the Iron Giant and Titan AE before, and according to Wikipedia, you have as well. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, we actually talked to Laura, Laura Harkham, who does We Kill Monsters for Red 5 Comics, and uh, Jake Parker, who does Missile Mouse, and he worked on Titan AE. Oh, Really? I was um, I was leaving Fox sort of at the beginning of Titan AE. I worked on Anastasia and then the sequel to it, and then I I worked on the uh, the pre-production stuff for Titan AE and animated a few scenes um, before leaving to go work on the Iron Giant. So mm-hmm. I uh, I was there for I was there for the beginning of the production, but I didn't stick it out. Ah, so you got while the getting was good. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, uh, I it was a time for a change. I was in Phoenix, Arizona at that point, and had been my whole life. I mean, uh, you know, I was 24, I think, when I decided to pack up and go. And uh, there was an opportunity for me at uh, in Los Angeles, and I was working on a couple creator-owned comic books at the time, and uh, so I off I went. Awesome. So, I mean, how was your experience in animation? I mean, what like what did you do? I mean, you said you animated a couple of scenes. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was just talking about in Titan AE. I was, uh, at that point, I was an assistant, which means that I take the the, the keys and, uh, and and then do the stuff in between and break down the, the other movements and things. And I was doing the, the special effects animation when I started at Fox and Anastasia back in 1995. Uh, I did that for three, three and a half years, all the way up through the beginning of Titan AE, where I did a little design work and some other things. Uh, and then I went and did more of the same, more special effects assisting uh, on the uh, the Iron Giant. And uh, at that point, I was doing a creator-owned comic book with some friends called Captain Dingleberry, which was sort of an absurdist uh, 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 romp, uh, basically taking a lot of the goofy ideas and, and sort of fun things that we would cook up when we were working together at Fox. And, uh, you know, taking characters like Sir Richard Pumpelof, a, uh, a Frank Zappa character who we turned into a supervillain who had a penchant for, uh, for fucking bread. And, uh, he would take people and turn them into gingerbread men and then, and then sodomize them. And that sort of silliness. And so, uh, mixing between that and the, uh, the work in animation, I didn't, you know, I, I, being a cog in the uh, line moving department wasn't really exciting for me. Um, I eventually moved up to San Francisco after that and started working a wild brain animation while I was uh, also teaching concurrently at the Academy of Art University. And, uh, <clears throat> at that point I was doing, um, I was doing, uh, my own cartoon series as well. We had been hired by Yahoo, uh, Kieran Dwyer and I, a longtime collaborator. So I was, uh, Designing and directing and, and animating on uh, my own thing, as well as doing some animation on uh, on commercials for the Jolly Green Giant and uh, miscellaneous things that Wild Brain was doing. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, doing more comics. I was doing a book called Blackheart Billy for a couple of years, and then that, that that sort of had a cult following and, and took off. And I had more and more opportunities in comics. And uh, I've I've you know I've always been sort of gravitated I've gravitated towards the creative freedom that is offered and the uh, the purity of intention that can that can be explored with uh, sequential art and that's sort of where I ended up. So you you've done, you did a lot of creator owned work before you came um, before you started doing work for Marvel. Yeah, I mean I've been doing creator owned books since since 1998. Wow. And, I mean, it, it's like a, a string. I mean, you've pretty much been working constantly on some type of creator-owned title or two at a time um, since then, including Fear Agent, which is kind of, you know, it, it, it's a huge one, and it's still uh, ongoing to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Well, not even to a certain extent. It's definitely still happening. We've still got the, yeah, we've still got another five issues to get through. So, I mean, how did that start up, uh, you know, the, 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 the Fear Agent? 
Well, any series. of those things, you know, creator-owned is, is a matter of you and your friends starting it yourselves, and that's sort of the thing that you can do in comics that you can't really do in, in many other places other than, other than music anymore, is get together with a friend or two who have similar sensibilities and say, hey, look, you know, uh, I've got too much free time on my hand. I've been on you know, my hands. I've been enjoying my life too much. I'd like to lock myself in a studio for the next eight months and develop and produce a comic book. Um, you know, in Fear Agent, that's what it is. It was Tony Moore and I who had been friends going back to uh, some black and white um, uh, indie work we had, we had uh, done together in 99 and 2000. Um, in, in a book called Lowest Comic Denominator, where you can also find, <coughs> excuse me, Johnny Ryan's first uh, published work and mine and um, Tony Moore. I think that we had done a couple few things before that, but that was some of our very early work. And after striking up a friendship with him over a few years, we we were both, you know, we're both big fans of uh, of uh, you know EC science fiction and, and guys like Wally Wood and Will Elder and, and Jack Davis and, and Kurtzman and everybody and. We got to looking around the comic book industry, and you know there wasn't any science fiction going on at the time. Um, there definitely wasn't anything that had the sensibility that we were interested in—the sort of high adventure, pulpy, um, you know, classic throwback. And um, so we would talk on the phone. Um, <clears throat> I think at the time I was drawing *Man with the Screaming Brain* at Dark Horse, a, a book that uh, Bruce Campbell wrote and, and turned into a, a, a little movie as well. And um, so I would sit on the phone while I was drawing all these wild, fun, uh, fun things at Dark Horse, and talk to talk to Tony, and, uh, and kind of cook up Fear Agent. Um, <clears throat> at that point, Fear Agent was like my seventh or eighth creator-owned book, and uh, I had done, you know, good lord, either written, inked, drawn, or or all three of them on, you know, a, a good a good seven or eight graphic novels at that point. And um, you know, it's it's tricky because you're doing things if you're going to do. I think if you're going to do books um, at that level, if you're going to create your own things and produce them for the sake of producing them, they should be unique and have you know a personal voice, and you should be doing things that aren't necessarily represented in the industry already. And we did we did that, you know. I mean, with uh, with Blackheart Billy, we did a story about a, a skate punk who had recently moved to San Francisco, basically kind of chronicling my own adventures and having just moved to San Francisco. But then ultimately, he ends up in a big fight with Easy E uh, and, and Hitler and Jerry Garcia. Um, and and then moving on to my book Doll and Creature, which is sort of uh, you know what if religion was outlawed and and the ultra left became the norm. Started exploring some fun stuff with that um, in a in a world set with uh, designer drugs that eventually turn people into you know fiendish monsters. And uh, we have sort of a Frankenstein esque character go out and clean them up. Um, and then just one at a time, one by one, I would come up with these ideas with friends, and we'd have a lot of fun cooking them up, and we'd we'd lock down and produce them, which is the, the difference between, um, you know, the difference between concept and realization is that, that, that hard year it takes to, to grind the thing out. And in Fear Agent, um, that was something that when Tony and Moore and I cooked it up, um, you know, he penciled up some designs and he penciled up a cover for the first issue um, based on some stuff we were talking about, sort of an homage to a Frank Frazetta EC cover. And he sent it to me and I inked it. And then we uh, we batted it around a little bit. Um, I wrote a Bible for a story. Uh, we pitched it to Eric Larson at the time. It was originally an image. Um, you know, Eric had a few notes, and uh, we went back, gave it another polish, and, and got to work on it. Um, and then uh, you know, did about 11 issues at Image, and then and then hopped over to Dark Horse, um, who are uh, also taking care of the film end of things on on Fear Agent over at Universal right now. Um, and then we prov- we produced another 28, uh, or you know, there's a total of 28 issues, 29 issues, with the last five issues to come. So, um, yeah, you know, this, with these things, it's not like somebody comes to you and says, you know, I want you to create this. It's it's you deciding you want to create it and and, and plunking down and you know putting together the work ethic to do it. And for for that and for Strange Girl and Sea of Red and, and Nightmare and a lot of the books I was doing in 2004, 2005, um, you know, most of those I didn't make any money on it, it for for a long time. It was just a matter of of the desire to uh, fulfill the creative itch. Now, at some point, you know, when you're working on Fear Agent, uh, Jerome Opinia came into the huh? picture. I think for the second arc, right? <clears throat> yeah, he actually had a little hand in the first arc too. And uh, how did you? I'm I'm very curious as to how you met him because you know obviously he's 
you know, he, he worked with you on The Punisher uh, in oh. addition to Fear Agent. And now he's working on uh, Vengeance of the Moon Knight with Greg Kerwitz, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his stuff is absolutely fantastic. And, and it always has been. And uh, I didn't even realize he was an artist on Fear Agent until I went back into my old collection and, you know, saw his name on the side of the trade paperback. I was like, oh, uh-huh. yeah. So... Jerome was actually a student at the Academy of Art University when I was teaching there, and I was teaching uh, storyboard, animation, and comic books. I jumped around a little bit, and I taught uh, in the illustration department there for about four or five years, and Jerome's sketchbooks were passed around uh, with some of the students, and uh, I I, I got my hands on one of them and uh, just, you know, could see nothing but pure potential in the guy, just super amazing. and before I could get my hooks into him, I believe he did a uh, four-issue series of Dark Horse called Lone, and I assumed that he would then be off, you know, scooped up by uh, by, by numerous editors and put to work. And um, when I discovered that he wasn't, and uh, Tony was was going to have to hop off Fear Agent for a little while to go do uh, the Exterminators, his book at Vertigo, I uh, I, ca- I got in touch with with Jerome and. Um, and uh, we had lunch, and, and he signed on. And so, uh, yeah, I think we got a, uh, um, geez, we got at least uh, a good, you know, nine, ten, eleven issues out of Jerome. And uh, then when I was uh, doing stuff at Marvel with Matt Fraction on Punisher, and they were looking for, uh, you know, the team to, to, to take take over after uh, um, Fraction and Chaken left, I, uh, I, I, sent, I sent in some of Jerome samples. Jerome and I had done a Wolverine short story together um, a couple few months earlier. And uh, off we went on to the Punisher. And, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, he's doing great. I'm glad to see it. You know, since we're, we're kind of on the Punisher uh, subject here, you've, got, you've started up uh, the newest volume of Punisher, uh, back last year, uh-huh. um, and you know the Punisher. I mean, this line of the Punisher. Obviously, some big events have happened in Frank Castle's life uh, during this volume. Um, you know, there was the return of his family and his bat. You know, during his battle with the Hood. Yeah. Um, and of course, the huge event. You know, which is his death. Now, you know, when you started this volume, how far ahead did you, you know, I mean, did you know he was going that, you know, that it was going to end up as Frankencastle come issue 14 or 12 or whatever, you know, uh, issue that started when you started the title? Um, well, roughly, I'd actually pitched uh, Dracula as, as, a, as, a, as a major, uh, you know, um, um, player in the, in the first arc. I'm a big fan of the the Marvel monster stuff, and it feels like the street characters are just a you know a hair away from from the monster characters. You know, they're all shadow dwelling and and whatnot. So um, as we you know, it was really important to Axel, uh, my editor, to to launch big with the uh, the Dark Reign Punisher, the first issue of the new ongoing. And we spent no less than four or five weeks. Uh, putting together different arc ideas, and we—I have you know 20 files full of ideas and, and different ways to take the arc. And during the course of that, um, the Scourge villains coming back uh, was was one of the uh, 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 one of the options. And uh, I had been doing some reading on some stuff called Extracellular Matrix, which is a real—it uh, exists in reality. It's a powder that um, you can put a man that you can... There's a video on YouTube if you go look at Extracellular Matrix. There's a video of a guy who got uh, the top of his finger lobbed off working in a a hobby shop, working within a a model airplane. Um, And you put the Extracellular Matrix on this stuff every day for a little while, and it grew the finger back. Um, the stuff is crazy, and it's uh, it's big science. And I got to thinking that in Frank's case, you know, Frank goes out there, he gets shot, cut up, dropped down, dropped off buildings... Um, you know, if he had some of this stuff, that he could heal himself up. And um, so it was always part of my intention that Frank's Frank's journey through Dark Rain would end poorly, uh, and then he would um, he would use some of this stuff and start putting himself back together. Um, as I went in and sort of tried to start putting together what villains and what other story stuff I would I would want, I, I dug into these old files and I found this 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 monster idea that I had. Um, and this was another idea that I'd been cooking up with some, some friends at Marvel about doing uh, in, in another book where the monsters had moved into the old Morlock tunnels underneath New York. And this is sort of a central now home and location. And the Legion of Monsters, this team of um, 
sort of the Avengers of monsters has has always had a base down there inside this monster metropolis. They have a hall of monsters where they meet in secret and then do what they have to do to protect their monster brethren or protect humanity. And I got to thinking about it, you know, Doc and, it cuts Frank up and, and drops him back down into a sewer uh, and the whole thing just kind of clicked. I got on the phone with Tony Moore and uh, and he had done some sketches of of, uh, of the Punisher as this uh, sort of uh, you know Deathlock Frankenstein thing, and we had gotten to talking about how it would work, and it it, it came together in, in a quick conversation on the phone um, where it all sort of snapped that like this thing I wanted to do with the monsters and incorporating the street characters with the monsters. Um, Frank being killed, Dr. Morbius being down there and having had uh, in, in continuity some experience dealing with Frankenstein. Um, it all just kind of came together and it got us so excited. We you know, were bouncing around like, like little kids. So at that point, I got my editor on the phone. I got Axel on the phone and I talked to him about it. And he's, you know, obviously it's a wild idea. And his first instinct is, well, that's wild. Um, but he, he, he fell in love with it and so did everybody else at Marvel. And, uh, you know, we've just been having the time of our lives doing it. So, I mean, and that's great. I mean, you know, the, the the Punisher stuff has been really wild lately. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if looking at solicitations, obviously the Frankencastle thing is kind of, or this, the Frankencastle storyline that's actually called Frankencastle right. is a, a limited run. Um, you know, it, it goes for a couple more issues. And, you know, how long are, are you planning, are you sticking on the title for a while after it? You know, are you, are you going to see it through? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm staying around. I've already got the next two arcs after this planned out. Um, you know, Frank's not healed. Frank is still, this, you know, he's still a big Frankenstein monster. Um, and then we move into sort of um, what, I'm, what I, I can't really divulge, but it's going to be crossing over into some other books. I, I'm tentatively calling it the payback arc. Um, in, in the last two years, while I've been involved in Punisher, He's had his ass kicked uh, pretty good by the hand when he was ambushed. Um, microchip in the in the Deadly Dozen and the Hood got the drop on him. Um, you know, the Sentry, uh, Dawkins. He, you know, he's got a he's got a, a cast of people out there. Uh, um, Stuart Clark, the new Jigsaw. All of these characters have uh, have had encounters with Frank that weren't really resolved, and um, Frank is now. Uh, Frank is now in the midst of dealing, helping out, helping out the, the Legion of Monsters, and he's going to stay stay involved with the Legion of Monsters. Um, he's going to stay down there, and uh, and and he's going to make his home. Uh, his home is going to continue to be down in the in the old Morlock tunnels, which I think makes sense for Frank. I think it's a safer it's a safer, smarter decision than than living in the back of your van, sort of driving around. He makes his home underneath New York, and then he's got a, a central location that he can get back to. Um, Obviously, he's got a couple of different safe houses, and I think that's the great thing about Frank is he's sort of a, a, a strategist and, a, and a, a brilliant military mind, and so he's got all of these different storehouses. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't you know I can't talk about this in the, in the next arc, but it's uh, it's 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 still stitched up Frank Castle, uh, and it's, uh, it's it's wild. It's a ton of fun. So is and maybe you can't tell us, but you know, uh, is Tony Moore sticking on with you, or do we have a new artist coming in for the next arc? Um, we're we're just not sure yet. There's a lot of things being talked about. Um, there's a lot of things that Tony Moore and I, um, Tony and I might might do something else um, at Marvel. Uh, we might do Punisher. There's they're still shifting around. Um, they're still shifting things around. We do have a beautiful fill-in issue um, by Dan Brereton, which is the origin of. Uh, and the backstory for these monster hunters that Frank is up against, um, and that takes place in uh, let's see, eleven, twelve, thirteen, issue fourteen. Okay. Um, and then uh, we have two more issues of this initial arc. And um, if it's not Tony, um, some of the names being thrown around are pretty great. But Tony and I, uh, we have we have a lot of things we'd, we'd like to do. So I think we'll be we'll be working together uh, after this, either on Punisher or something else. Awesome. So right now. And it's been hinted there's more Marvel work in your future, but probably nothing you can announce right yet. Um, but right now you're working on two Marvel titles. You're working on Punisher and you're working on Dr. Voodoo. Uh-huh. Um, now, I was actually a little disappointed to read the other day that Dr. Voodoo ends with issue five. Yeah. Yeah. What, it, was it always a mini or was 
No, no, it wasn't. I think that, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't, the internal thinking, I think that, you know, it, it's probably, um, it's, it was critically well, 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 you know, received and the people who like the, the magic end of the Marvel Universe were all very happy, as are the people who are reading Punisher with that stuff. I think there's a, a big population who love that 70s stuff quite a bit and, and love Doctor Strange and love seeing it given the light. But, um, it, it, you know, ultimately they've got bigger plans for, for Jericho, and he's going to be doing things in, in Bendis's uh, new Avengers stuff that um, sort of kind of put the, the light on him in a way where he's going to be a, he's going to you know he's going to be given a better uh, opportunity to grow a readership I think in those new Avengers books um, than than in, a, in, a, in his own self-contained series at this point. Gotcha. So you know you, you've you've started this arc, or you you have this arc going. And, um, you know, it involves Nightmare as the main villain. Uh-huh. Um, and at this point, we, we've seen a lot of uh, Dr. Voodoo kind of – he's kind of really kind of been getting his ass handed to him. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Dr. Doom kind of pummeled him a little bit in the first issue and, you know, uh, then Nightmare came around. And uh, so – and at the end of the last issue or, or the last issue that we've seen – and this is, this uh, episode – is actually going to premiere online next Wednesday, uh, which is the day uh, issue four comes out. Uh-huh. So, what can you tell us about what's coming up? Because uh, you know, now, at this point, Doctor Voodoo's been uh, possessed. I think uh, the Hood and Ghost Rider have been possessed. And Every single candidate for Sorcerer Supreme has been possessed. Nightmare has basically Doctor Strange warned Jericho not to use those scrying stones. He said, "You know that is a window to uh, every powerful magic user on the on the planet. It's a bad idea. Um, for for his own reasons, Jericho did not heed that warning, and Nightmare, sure enough, used the stones to possess every single candidate for Sorcerer Supreme, every major magic user in the Marvel Universe, and every monster. So um, coming on, you know, to the Earth stage, and 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 you know, Zing Bang Pow, he's got himself an army of the supernatural ready to go." Um, and now we've got the disembodied spirit of, of Jericho's brother Daniel, who's sort of the last uh, the, the last hope when we when we left them in at the end of issue three. You know, the series started, and obviously this whole Sorcerer Supreme storyline, even um, with uh, Bendis' story arc and, where Jericho Drum became Sorcerer Supreme, have kind of involved Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Doctor Doom was a big piece of that first issue. He, he he's made appearances since then. You know, is, is he going to be coming back to the storyline? Is is you know? And yeah, I think yeah, we've seen him on the covers actually of issue five, so I'm probably not spoiling anything too much. Sure, no, no, yeah, Doom Doom plays a big role. I don't want to give away too much, but um, it was everything that happened in issue one is is it's all seeds for for the wrap up in issue five. I mean, the, the this arc was was constructed in a way where Nothing that happened in issue one is just random happenstance. Um, these are all things that are setting up. Uh, and, you know, somebody like Doom, who knows what he's planned or who knows what role he's really playing in all of this. I don't think he's anybody that gets one, you know, you don't get one over on Doom. Um, in fact, he has a T-shirt that he wears that says that. You don't get one over on Doom. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't have that, but he should. It's so, made of it's made of uh, iron or Whatever yeah. it's made out of it's, metal. It's engraved. He has, he has it sort of engraved with sequins inside of the engraving to kind of offer, a, you know, a little, yeah, it's a a little, little patch, you know, a little patch yeah. on the cloak. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, Doom is definitely coming back, and you know, as a candidate for Sorcerer Supreme, and as a huge mystical character, you know, Doom has always dabbled in that stuff. It was important to me that when when Jericho took took the stage, and when Jericho was given this job. Um, you know, Doom and a number of other big big characters like like Nightmare and Dormammu and a few others. None of them were 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 uh, they held held Jericho in much esteem, and that was sort of the, the case among some fans as well. And so um, it did seem to me that when you get a character who's who's like the Brother Voodoo and now Doctor Voodoo, and you give him such an escalation that he shouldn't step right into that position and dominate it. Uh, he shouldn't step right in with total confidence and competency. He should have some stumbling blocks because, let's face it, he's Sorcerer Supreme. I mean, like in the Marvel Universe, that's a big deal. So Jericho is, uh, 
is uh, he takes the mantle, and uh, you know, as soon as he does, these guys come crawling out of the woodworks to challenge him, and, and to you know, nightmare makes his bid to, to to come to Earth, and all of these things all happen, and they all happen right at the same time. I, I like, I always like the idea that um, supervillains wouldn't wait around for their turn. You know, like, well, I guess they're done fighting the Fantastic Four, so it's our time. I like the idea that. Doom is in the middle of uh, of, uh, of making a bid and attacking Jericho while Jericho is busy dealing with doing an exorcism from a, uh, an evil voodoo loa, and then that leads into uh, immediately being dropped in Nightmare's realm. And is it all happenstance? Is it all just random? You know, or or, or is somebody or something in the background plotting all of this out? And uh, and who or what would that be? You know, the fun of this uh, this end of the Marvel universe is that you can go nuts with it. So you're exclusive with Marvel right now, kind of, right? No, I'm exclusive, yeah. But you've also got, I mean, you've got a lot of creator-owned, well, you've, you've got Fear Agent going on right now, and you've also got Last Days of American Crime. Right, right, right. Yeah, those are those are things that they've chiseled out of my exclusive for me, the same way Jason Aaron has scalped over at Vertigo. Good deal. Um, and you've also, you know, I'm, I'm looking, again, you know, when I was looking up uh, your stuff, you've also worked on a couple of video games. And I think one probably, you know, um, the, the most recent one being Dead Space. Uh-huh, yep. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, before we get into Last Days of American Crime, which I really want to talk to you about, can you tell us a little bit about the experience of working on, you know, the, the writing for that game? Um, the experience, it, it's you know, it was a lot of fun. The... Um <clears throat> when I when I came on, uh, Warren Ellis had built up the the, the core of the universe, I, you know, the basic ideas and how things worked. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, they uh, they had me then take that over the course of a couple months and start uh, taking the the story beats they had and then putting tying them together and and writing the thing out. Um, there were there were three writers in total. Warren Ellis uh, first, and then I came on, and then uh, Anthony Johnston came on and did the final. So uh, so what I did was just to take all of that, um, take all of those ideas and, and create a linear uh, you know story with it. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of time. It was a ton of fun. I mean, the, I think that you know I'm writing another video game right now that I can't talk about, but it's uh, a similar similar project uh, for you know, a similar company, and. The the challenge I think is to you know I, I've I've worked in in video games as an artist and uh, storyboarded on uh, 007 from Russia with Love at EA a couple of years back and done plenty of production stuff and it's easy to sort of forget um, <clears throat> it's easy to be tied down by the by the restraints of what you know that you can or cannot get away with or what you can't do and so when I'm when I'm writing this stuff, it's very important that I try and go crazy with the ideas. And if if the if the developers, if the people making the game fall in love with the ideas as well, they're going to figure out a way to make it. Um, so it's it's my job to, as long as it's natural and fits in with the story, to go as big and wild and as original as possible, and then let them deal with what they can actually do or can't do. And I found that, like my contributions on Dead Space and uh, my contributions on the, the game that I'm currently writing, um, by by approaching it that way, by approaching it from a standpoint of pure imagination, and and not you know sort of um, following any of the formulas that I've seen before, but instead, like what would I want to see if I was playing this ultimately? You know, um, we've uh, we've done a lot of a lot of really fun stuff. I thought the game turned out great, and, and you know. Um, it's 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 a it's a it's a nice it's a nice side career. I'm I'm really enjoying doing the doing the writing the games. And maybe you can't tell us, and maybe this is what you're trying not to tell us. And if so, we'll edit it out. But are you working on the recently announced sequel? I'm I'm not. No, this okay. was uh, this was a game that was getting off of the ground uh, at the same time. I can't even say the name of the company. It's it's uh, it's it's all non-disclosure agreement stuff. But it's it's of an equal size and and. Uh, it's a it's a similar similar vein this game. Well, I mean, Dead Space was a big hit, you know. I mean, it, it, and you know, people love it, and obviously they've got the sequel already in production. And you know, you, so it's kind of amazing seeing the things that you bounce between because you've got the Punisher, which started really, you know, as a very gritty superhero comic. Uh, this volume, um, you know, and you've got you know the mysticism that's going on in Doctor Voodoo. 
Uh-huh. You've got the science fiction aspect, um, a little more lighthearted, you know, uh, in Fear Agent, um, and you know, a lot more serious and scary in Dead Space. And you've also got your creator-owned book that just came out um, week before Christmas, "The Last Days of American Crime" uh-huh. uh, from Radical Comics. And uh, I, I read the book. Uh, well, I read the first issue um, a couple of days ago, and, and, and it's great. It, it is great, and you know, it, it's. Uh, I really like the way it's going, and the more I find out about it, the more I realize it's not just limited to this comic. It's actually a huge, uh, you know, a much larger project. Um, Can you tell us, I mean, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about the story before we get into the whole semantics of it. Um, Well, the basic premise is that uh, I was uh, thinking in terms of had we endured a few other terrorist attacks on a U.S. soil in the the, mid-aughts, had there been these dirty bomb attacks that they were worried about or anything else? And what if we had the ability to, uh, to mine, to, to control mines? And, uh, it was just sort of a fun science fiction idea. I was thinking of one afternoon and thinking in terms of, you know, if you could inhibit humans from committing crime, um, would people subject themselves to a, to a world where there was some sort of, you know, broadcast in the air, some, neurological inhibitor that just made it impossible for you to pr- perform any act you knew to be unlawful. And um, as I started, you know, thinking about it and I got to writing that, I was actually developing that book a little bit before Fear Agent. I was uh, just writing down ideas. I always hit walls with it because it became ultimately you've got two weeks, three weeks before this broadcast, The uh, and I call it the American Peace Initiative, uh, before this broadcast is going to be announced. And... Um, it, it, it was a lot of stories about people going to, to knock down radio towers and things, and it was more, it, you know, it didn't really didn't really click until I figured out um, the second half of the pitch, which is that one of the things that they've been talking about doing forever to also sort of safeguard against, uh, you know, terrorism and crime is that the U.S. government has transitioned in this story from, from paper money to fiduciary charge cards where... Your money is all, you know, on on your on your debit card. There is no paper money. It's not honored any longer, and that'll inhibit people from, you know, making illegal purchases, from evading taxes. Basically, everything can be tracked at that point. Uh, and the story revolves around a career criminal, a uh, guy who just got out of the federal pen and and was trying to go go straight and couldn't quite make it happen. The classic classic heist archetype where he's uh, he's found out uh, that. That if he can if he can swipe one of these machines that charge the cards um, at the right moment, uh, the night that the API the broadcast is going to be uh, uh, turned on, they're going to have to turn all of this off. And there's a whole uh, a whole lot of confusion going on. He plans on stealing a charge card and making his way off to the beaches of of Mexico or off to Canada or something where he can uh, he can charge himself unlimited currency and, and live the live the good life. Um, and that's the basic high concept, and then we deal with. So, the background is all of these, these, you know, these sort of sci-fi things that are going on in America in, in pandemonium and, and uh, a lot of rioting and whatnot. But we're focused on Graham Brick and uh, and this heist that he's trying to put together. It's funny that you mentioned the science fiction aspects because it's very much um, a science fiction story, almost disguised as a as a crime story. Um, you know, I mean, well, not disguise, but you know, the the book has, uh, you know, a more of a, a a crime comic feel, and um, you know, the, the 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 science fiction aspects of it, you know, the story couldn't exist without those science fiction aspects, which I, I really like. No, yeah, not the same way. I think that it's more, it is more of a heist story with a sprinkling of science fiction at this point. You know, it's sort of, it is a nice, it is, it is. Uh, it does make the um, the objective a, a little more, uh, you know, important than just like the last big heist of their career. This is not just the last big heist, but if they fail it, the API gets switched, then there's they'll be incapable of performing crime. So this is their last chance to do their last job ever, which I thought added a, a definite, you know, an intensity to their mission. Now, uh, I have a question. Uh, the broadcast. Uh, you say it uh, stops people from committing uh, acts they know to be unlawful. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how hardcore is that? <clears throat> well, if you know that jaywalking is illegal, 
then your body will will you will be inhibited from from jaywalking. You just can't do it. Your body will not perform the action. Um, but we deal with you know there's a lot of fun questions that that that, that something like that kind of technology brings up. Um, and I didn't want to bog the first issue down and all of the sort of exposition and what for with that stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to just basically get the the heist set up and, and a little bit of the sci-fi premise and and pepper it so you hear it on the news when people are in bars and and you see it on newspapers and things. And in the next issue, we start getting in deeper into what this API has done and all of this pandemonium and chaos that you've seen in the first issue. But this is the true cause of it. Um, and and what exactly it does, and, and you, you hear a lot of talking heads on the left and the right, sort of debating the uh, the ups and downs and the strengths and weaknesses of something like this. All I can think of is the main weakness is that you'd no longer be able to commit sodomy. That's true. No sodomy. <laughs> yeah, that would that would ruin party hour, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hey, there goes party hour. I guess you'd have to leave Texas, though. I don't think sodomy is illegal everywhere. I hope not. <laughs> That's true. That's I guess it depends. Animals. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the state, right? Let's look up sodomy laws. Hey, where can I do some buggering? Part one. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. There's your homework for tonight, Jonathan. Do they not have a Zagat's guide for that? Buggery in the United States. Act one. <laughs> if, if not, they should. Tennessee, keep it in your pants. No buggery here, friends. I I live in Alabama, and I know the sodomy laws here quite well, and it's <laughs> not legal. I am a criminal, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. I feel like we all know each other a little bit better now. Yeah, see? We're all comfortable. We're all friends here. <laughs> I'm in Virginia. Nothing's legal in Virginia. No. Regular sex is mid-made illegal in Virginia. Not even. Dirty. They're like, look, no more sex. Just cut it out. Yeah, enough of that. Uh, You know, speaking of crime, and just a little side story, getting off topic a bit. um, Virginia, or the Virginia Beach area in which I live, is the place where they closed down a facility for performing jello wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, bikini jello wrestling. So it wasn't even naked jello wrestling. So yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure we're we're a little we're a little prudish. tight here. A little prudish, yeah. 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 Polly, are you are you able to uh are you able to purchase sex toys in Virginia? Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, I'm not Alabama. but they are available. I yeah, can't you get can't, the double fisher songs on it. That's the down downside of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what eBay's for. Thanks, thanks, eBay. Now I can fist in the privacy of my home. Uh, so the comic. <laughs> in, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, that 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 thing. It's um, it's sixty four pages, mm-hmm. which is about three times longer than the average. Well, almost three times longer. Yeah. Um, than the average length of a comic that you're used to working, you know, that you that you work on, you know, for say Marvel. Sure, and there's um, only I think two or three ads in the entire thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, and there and there are four radical books, um, which let me tell you, they, they all look pretty awesome. Um, so, are all three issues in the same format? Yes. Yeah. Um, that that is the the format for all three issues. Um, and uh, Greg Tokini, the artist, is a is a powerhouse. He's somebody I've wanted to work with for a little while, and and uh, finally had an opportunity on this, and couldn't couldn't be more delighted with how it's turning out. Greg and I are already talking about our next couple projects after this, so we definitely will be working together in the future. Um, but yeah, I like I love the format as well because you get uh, you get to tell a bigger, especially given with the first issue. I think the biggest challenge is if you've got 22 pages is how are you going to hook somebody and make them have to come back for the next chapter after just getting a, a brief glimpse of your series. But 48 pages gives me an opportunity to take my time and decompress a little bit and really sink into some of the moments. You know, like I, I wanted to really just the scene with Graham at the beginning with the guy who's got tied up in the bathtub. Um, I wanted the tension of that to, to read, and it, it doesn't if it has to take place in four pages. But the tension reads when the beats are drawn out and you start wondering exactly what he's going to do to this guy and what, why he has that canister full of diesel fuel. Um, uh, so it's been, it's been great. It's been a terrific exercise in being able to decompress a little bit and let the scenes have a little more air and uh, to sort of let the dialogue uh, you know, tell, 
dictate uh, who the characters are as well as what they're doing, which um, having that much, you know, that much, that much real estate to paint story on, you, you get the opportunity to, to, to utilize it. And what's spiffy about it is that it's been years since I've bought a comic that's in this prestige format. Uh-huh. So it's not just like a regular comic, um, you know, with a regular cover, uh, you know, that's just happens to be 64 pages. You know, it's it's a nice prestige format comic book, which is kind of, like I said, something that hasn't been done for a while. And yeah. not only that, it's only five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Even when they were popular in the late 80s, you know, even when you had, uh, you know, the Batman, the cult and Dark Knight Returns and the Longbow Hunters and when they were doing them fairly, fairly commonly from 85 into, you know, 90. I, th- I think they were. I think they were just four ninety nine then as well. You know, I don't think that. I think it's 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 radical is is with this doing everything they can to make sure that the books is you know the books is accessible and um, you know we sold out of the entire print run in in less than a week uh, and they had overprinted by you know four thousand copies which doesn't sound like a lot but with a prestige format five dollar book it's it's quite a bit so. Um, I think we blew out 10,000 copies out the door in, in five days and, and, and legitimately gone. I think there's a few retailers who I've talked to who, who had a few copies left, but uh, you know, there's, there's nothing left. So it's also going to be the first time Radical does a second printing because this thing sold out so quickly and there's such a demand for it. Uh, we're going to make sure that a second printing of the first issue is, is available uh, as well when issue two ships uh, next month. You know, and I was going to actually ask about that because um, – as far as I know, as far as I knew, anyway, that Radical hadn't done a second printing for any of its books thus far. You know, they wait till the trade. Right. So, um, yeah, and that hasn't been announced yet, um, but I'm, I'm assuming that it will here by the, before this comes out next Wednesday. Yeah. So if you haven't picked up Last Days of American Crime number one yet, keep an eye out for it next month when issue two comes out, or this month, January, or is it February? No, issue two. Issue two will ship late February, early March. It's bi-monthly to give Greg the time to really put the, you know, you can look at what he's doing with the art there. Um, he's just pouring the love into every page, and we want to make sure that the whole series has that. And uh, Especially with all the film stuff coming up, I want this to. I want to look back on this when it's collected in trade, and I want to see it absolutely perfect. I want Greg to have as much time as possible, so we agreed to go bi-monthly. And it's 48 pages an issue that he's, you know, penciling and, and inking and, and coloring himself. So Yeah, plus you get all the little bonuses in the back of his sketchbook, at least in the first issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll either include sketchbook stuff or uh, other extras from, from Greg's uh, Greg's library in the back. Um, and, and uh, yeah, we'll make sure that, that, that the book is filled with quality goods that, that you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's tricky anymore. You know, the economy's in the tank and Getting people to try something new in comic books is very, very difficult. Very difficult. Uh, so we yeah. wanted to do everything we could. You know, uh, Alex Maleev covers beautiful Greg Tokini painted pages. Um, you know, hopefully so the jerk who wrote it came up with something fun to read and uh, a nice format. And I think that I think you know, Radical has also gotten behind in a big way. And um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you hit the announcement that uh, you know a couple weeks back, Sam Worthington. Uh, from Avatar is producing and starring in it. Yeah, I was just about to to, to get to that. Um, that Sam Worthington, you know, like you said, yeah. producing and starring as Cash, right? Kevin Cash. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know, tell us a little bit about that deal. I mean, obviously, you can't go into any specifics as to actors and stars other than Sam Worthington. But um, was the deal kind of simultaneous with the creation of the comic? Did the comic come first and then the deal? Comic first, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been developing this since, geez, 2003. Um, you know, and, and it's just been gestating, and as the years came, you know, progressed, and it would sit in the back of my head, different ideas would get plugged into it. And so it's a, it, I, I feel like it's fairly fairly well-rounded now. And I did have a treatment of the entire story written, because I was going to take a stab at doing the screenplay uh, by myself as a spec, so when Radical picked it up and Barry wanted to do it, they hired me to write the screenplay uh, because they, I think they, they really loved the whole thing. And um, so I'm, I'm writing the screenplay for the film. And um, beyond Sam Worthington, the other actors and the directors that they're talking about right now, um, I wish I could say because it looks like we have a couple of them in place and it's going to be giant. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. It's, it's just insane to be a part of it. People have responded so well. Um, and then to see it, you know, translated into uh, into a fe- you know major feature film uh, with the, the kind with Sam, the caliber of you know Sam Worthington and some of the other guys, it's uh, 
it's a dream come true. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, Sam Worthington uh, is on his way to being the star of, I mean, right now it's the number two, um, you know, top blockbuster of all time, but it's on its yep. way to being the number one. Uh, money-making film of all time and you know that this you know so I, i'd imagine that that is good news for the, the last days of american crime the movie it, it really is it really is um and and sam is terrific and uh he you know had a, had a personal involvement in, in moving things forward and everybody's really excited about the project so um if everything goes the way it should in the next couple months we'll have some big announcements and um you know see this thing in theaters in a couple of years Fantastic! That would be, you know, that would be absolutely great. You know, I, I would very much uh, look forward to that. Now, that's not the only script you've written for one of your titles, though, right? You also wrote or are writing a script for. I'm going to uh, say XXS Zombies. Yeah, I go with the Triple X Zombies. Triple X Zombies. There we go. Um, yeah, it's it's quicker. <laughs> uh, I co-wrote that with uh, with uh, Kieran Dwyer, um, who who drew the comic book and. Um, it's uh, it's not too far afield from the comic book. That, that, uh, you know. So yeah, we finished the screenplay for that, and um, I just got some interesting emails today. In fact, but there's nothing I can talk about. Um, ah, you're a tease. You are a yeah. tease, Rick. If you've read that, uh, if you get a chance to read it, I, I'm really, really proud of Triple X Zombies. I think that Tony and Kieran and I had a blast making it, and uh, it's it's one of those things that I hold up to anybody as sort of an example of my uh, my sensibilities. But if for anybody who has uh, had an opportunity to read it and is worried that a film would be watered down if if, uh, if things go the way that they're looking they're going to go, uh, we amped it up in the screenplay. We didn't play it down. There is uh, perversion and, and ridiculousness uh, to, to, to a, a pretty astounding degree in there, and everybody's responded very well to it. So, Well, I was just sold. Yeah. You know, sex crimes is kind of an underlying theme between uh, sodomizing gingerbread crackers uh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah then, uh-huh. and then i was sold on that too i'm gonna have to look for that now <laughs> i like i like a villain i can relate to yeah sure i mean everybody everybody's got a shot for a little bread every once in a while the um the, there's a scene in triple x zombies where there's well you should go read it there's a, in, in issue three there's a there's a, a nun with a gun who has been infected with the zombie virus and she wants to have a tryst before she turns and the things that she forces our young star of the, of the story to do are pretty grotesque and wonderful. <laughs> now, Triple X Zombies um, image is from Image Comics. Is it collected in trade? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So, seek out Triple X Zombies in trade from Image Comics. Um, seek out Last Days of American Crime. Number one is on the stand right now. If you're lucky, I actually had to ask my comic guy to hold his last copy for me and. He did want to sell it, but I said, please, you know, we're talking to Rick Remender. Am I pronouncing your last name right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I want to read this before I talk to him because it's – I've know, heard he's a total jerk, and if I haven't read his book, he's going to be a total asshole. Yeah, he's going to give me a fake number and hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what's next for you? You've got – I mean, as if you didn't have enough going on, you know, what can you tell us about what's next for you? Um, well, in a couple weeks, um, Image is releasing a deluxe hardcover slipcase edition of my series Strange Girl that I did there from 2005 to 2008 um, that has all four trade paperbacks in it and a Michael Coluda print, which is signed and numbered. Um, and I have one of those. It's beautiful. Um, and uh, the, the, let me do 1,000, and I know that the pre-orders were seven or 800 so if uh, if you don't get one of the first batch, you better get a reorder in quick because we're not doing more. Um, and then after that, I think we might, you know, uh, eventually just just do an omnibus of it. I'm not sure. But the um, the sli- Strange Girl slipcase comes out uh, in two or three weeks, and um, pretty excited about that. Got the uh, the last End League trade paperback uh, solicited right now. Artwork by Eric Kennedy and Andy McDonald. Um, gigantic. The trade paperback should be out next month and um upcoming i've got you know more insanity with the punisher we're having a lot of fun with that and um we've got uh the last five issues of fear agent coming out from dark horse and that is set to start shipping i believe in may or june 
uh, and it's well, it's about half done now. We wanted to make sure that that four of the five issues were just entirely 100% finished, so that when we uh, so that when we got rolling on it and started soliciting that the thing could ship every three and four weeks like clockwork, it's a really important story to me, and I wanted to make sure that there wasn't a wait between issues. Now, Tony Moore's the artist on that one too. Mike Hawthorne and Tony Moore and John okay. Lucas. So uh, t- Tony and uh, Tony and Mike are tag teaming the the art, and then John Lucas is doing the uh, the inking. Mm, great. And, so, and Mike Hawthorne's also involved in in this most in Punisher 13. He did the uh, the breakdowns for Tony. Mike and Tony work really well together, and uh, and so we always try and keep those guys whenever possible. Mike's Mike's done breakdowns for a couple of issues of Fear Agent for Tony as well. Hmm. Awesome. And uh, any cons you're attending in 2010? Um, we, we have a new baby, so I'm, uh, I'm trying to lock down and stay in the house as much as I can, but there will definitely be, um, Seattle for me, my, my, my favorite show of the year, uh, and, uh, San Diego is very likely, and, um, geez, New York, I think, come, come next fall. Those are the only three that I'm, that I'm, uh, that I'm sure I'll be going to at this point. Yeah, I'm thankful they uh, rescheduled New York for fall. It's a little odd, but I'm glad not to travel there in February. Yeah, yeah, it's not the best month to be there. You know, Rick, thank you so much for taking some time with us tonight. I'm glad we were able to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, good luck with Last Days of American Crime and, you know, all the stuff you have going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you having me, guys. It was good talking with you. No problem. Well, have a nice night. Thanks again. Yeah, take care. All right, bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>